Today we discuss the conjectural Bruce Lee with Dr. Brian Hu, and we'll ask whether the powers that be today will attempt to mold late actor Chadwick Boseman's image in much the same way Bruce's was in the mid to late 1970s. All this and more today on... The following program is brought to you in living color. As early as 1923, David Sarnoff recognized the possibility of developing a television system. This is the dimension of imagination. Oh yeah! Now I remember! It's Inside the Box... The TV History Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Jonathan Bollinger. I have a really fun conversation for you today with San Diego State University faculty member Dr. Brian Hu. And I really wanted to reach out to Brian because while he writes quite a bit on larger sort of issue of Asian cinema, he had also written as part of that an article on what he refers to as the conjectural Bruce Lee. And so I thought it was really appropriate to this sort of larger, potentially silly, I'll be honest, silly question, and we'll talk about this during the conversation, about whether in an attempt to sort of draw upon history, to draw upon some sort of pre-configured nostalgia, some pre-configured iconography, whether sort of the business powers that be will attempt to mold the symbol of Chadwick Boseman, who is so important to a younger generation, in much the way Bruce Lee's image was manipulated and molded after his, you know, very young, unfortunate uh, passing. But it's both light and serious, and there's a lot of good information there. So for those not familiar like I said, Brian's down at San Diego State University. Uh, though, uh, for those that know me, you know I have a love for Southern California. SD, uh, SDSU is part of the Cal State system. I'm familiar with it because of my time way back um, at, uh, at Cal State Northridge when I was doing my master's in sociology. So I love the Cal State system. And also, uh, just a few years ago, for those that don't know, the library down there at SDSU has a wonderful special collections for comic books. And I actually got a chance to travel uh, down there, use that archive, and the uh, librarian Pamela Jackson is actually super helpful and, and wonderful. So if you're ever down in that part of the country and uh, and need that sort of resource, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful resource. So the other thing I just want to remind you about real quick is that for those that uh, are enjoying the bonus episodes or haven't started bonus episodes, or maybe now you've been listening to this new season or curious about what uh, Steve, Andrew, and I were talking about in in the past episodes, then as I've said before, uh, please consider uh, providing a small contribution on Patreon so that you can then have access to both the new bonus episodes and that full 87-episode archive, okay? So uh, with that, Without any further ado, I think I just want to get right into my conversation with Dr. Brian Hu. The clones of Bruce Lee. The respected and loved Chinese superstar Bruce Lee has just died. Starring Dragon Lee, Bruce Lee, and Bruce Lai. Suddenly and without warning, he fell into a coma today. The clones of Bruce Lee brings a new dimension to martial arts films. Scientists and police made a momentous decision. They would create 
the claws of Bruce Lee. These identical specimens of the late Bruce Lee are trained in all the martial arts through scientific techniques. Brian, thank you again for agreeing to appear with us today uh, on Inside the Box. And the reason that I asked you here was because you've done a lot of different kinds of work within uh, film from an academic perspective. But one thing that you did, and I won't say exactly when you did it, it was a while ago, but it, it's, a, <laughs> it's a still very relevant, is you actually wrote this really cool article on Bruce Lee. And... What I want to do is talk to you about sort of four or five uh, general areas or, or takeaways from that article. And I'll do that by sort of asking you about certain elements of it and then let you talk about it. And I'll ask you some more questions about it. And then maybe we'll connect it up to, um, you know, one of the bigger stars of today. And that is, of course, uh, who relatively recently lost uh, Chadwick Boseman. So what I think is really cool, and for the listeners, you know, academics like to uh, lie to themselves and say that everyone has read all their work, but the fact is only a select few read it. So what I want to clue you in on is what, what Brian has done here is written about all the films that came out after Bruce Lee's death. And he has a wonderful term in this article called the uh, conjectural Bruce Lee or conjectural Bruce Lee's. And Brian, I was wondering if you could maybe start us off, but what, what do you mean by that term? What were you trying to get at there in, in that article? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think given the stature of Bruce Lee, we tend to think that he was in a lot of films. I mean, like like somebody with that level of, of international fame and influence must have been in a lot. But if you look at it, he only made a, a small hand. He's only famous for a very small handful of films that he made when he returned to Hong Kong after sort of a, a failed attempt at Hollywood stardom. And yet, why is it that we think of him as being like ever present? And largely is, I think, because he died so early. And that because he died so early, there was an attempt to fill in the Bruce Lee's that we could have had. I mean, this is also exploitation. Right? You're exploiting the fact <laughs> that somebody isn't here to control his own image, whether as a star or through his management or through a studio, the way that stars normally would have been at that time. And so this like Bruce Lee as a signifier, therefore, is kind of up for grabs. And then you have... Uh, studios in Hong Kong, including ones that work with Bruce Lee, who are trying to, trying to make official-ish Bruce Lee movies. Um, right. and, and a famous one would be like Game of Death, which the, the studio only had a, a little bit of footage of. And then they literally just had some guy, a Bruce Lee lookalike, not look at the camera too much. And then sometimes like, <laughs> they had like a mask over his face to make it look like Bruce Lee. I mean, it's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty shoddy attempt. And yet this is still almost... It's like near canon um, in terms of Bruce Lee imagery. But it wasn't just the official studios that were trying to do this. So you have little independent filmmakers or studios in the Philippines, in the United States, all over the world that were making kind of Bruce Lee-ish kind of characters. And maybe it's also because Asians in the West have this, that they're not quite human, right? Like, like they're, they're, I mean, this is just part of the stereotype, replaceable parts. The dehumanization and, and I, of, of a, yeah. 
and, and I want to jump in there because one thing, and it shows my own ignorance and maybe my privilege, is you do a really good job in this article of reminding us that for so long, for me, I think, oh, Bruce Lee, that guy is so cool. But you talk about the idea of it, at a certain point becoming a clown figure or a shtick figure. And I don't think a lot of, and I'll just straight up say it, you know, certain American, maybe Caucasian uh, fans don't quite understand how that sort of that stereotype sort of was pressed in in, in faces. Uh, so I, I thought that was yeah. fascinating. I'm glad you're picking that up. I mean, a lot of Asian American males, including myself, like growing up in the United States, we would get sort of yelped at, <laughs> like 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 a, as a playground kind of taunt, like you know Bruce Lee's like his his yips, um, right, right? And in, in some ways, like that should be the ultimate compliment, right? Like like you're right. you're comparing me with the greatest, like one of the greatest action stars in the history of the 20th century. Uh, why does this feel like I'm being lampooned here, like racially lampooned? And I think it's because again, like Bruce Lee's image was destabilized after his death. And if anybody can make a Bruce Lee, they're going to make a lesser Bruce Lee. And it sort of just became lesser and lesser and more and more clownish, especially as audiences started to associate Bruce Lee knockoff films with a certain cheapness, with a inauthenticity, interchangeability. And also like just not as good. Like like just the, the martial arts are less and less formidable. And yeah, it's becoming more and more of a joke such that Bruce Lee, yeah, there's still that like perfect image that we have of Bruce Lee, that like, like godly image from films like Fist of Fury. But we also have accompanying with that all like, like the clown version of Bruce Lee that makes it easy for Asian Americans perhaps to be kind of uh, dehumanized via his image. And, and what I think was also really interesting in the, art, uh, the article you wrote was the idea that, well, I, I guess I'll start it this way. Some in the audience, our listeners, may be thinking, okay, so I, I get it. I get it, Dr. Hugh. It's Bruce Lee, and then he dies. They still want to make money off him, so they cheaply exploit him by making these knockoff films. But those are sort of two different things. Like, how could you sort of write about sort of these cheapy knockoffs as somehow being a part of Bruce Lee or Bruce Lee's proper image? And I think you do a really good job of sort of explaining how drawing on on some some scholars like uh, Lurie and Foucault, how actually all of this is fair game to interpret properly in terms of if you want to study Bruce Lee. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, sort of your approach there? Yeah, I mean, like Foucault's notion of the like star as a certain kind of discursive function, that it's not a star isn't just a or, or like, like like the way that Foucault has been used to talk about star, the star as a as a discursive function, that it. Uh, as Bruce Lee isn't just the flesh and blood that is Bruce Lee, but is also, I mean, as all stars are, you're also you have like on-screen personas, you have off-screen personas, you have we know your your the gossip around stars, and so 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 we shouldn't so it's never even beyond Bruce Lee, like stars are never just what we see on the screen, mm-hmm. and therefore there's a certain porousness between the human being and the star as a signifying image. And therefore, we, we shouldn't think about Bruce Lee as purely just the flesh and blood of Bruce Lee. Another way of thinking about it, actually, is via James Bond, who I also mentioned in the article. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and James Bond as a character has such a, like, like, like a, a pretty um, consistent uh, set of tropes that have lasted through the decades, regardless of who's playing James Bond. 
And so maybe this there are ways in which Bruce Lee is not just a star, but a character. I mean, a character that is attached to a certain star image. I mean, just the same way that James Bond today is still carrying on Sean Connery and Roger Moore, even if they're no longer here to play James Bond. Think about James Bond as an accumulation of all the stars that have played him. Perhaps there's a way in which Bruce Lee as an image, we, it can never be limited just to the flesh and blood person, but also to all the other embodiments of Bruce Lee-ness. Yeah, so see, it, it, it is in some ways a different way of thinking about stardom, because I think with stardom, we, we do often care about the authenticity of the body. Like Marilyn Monroe is Marilyn Monroe. Bruce, oh, Brad Pitt is Brad Pitt. But there are, but but, but that, that's not the only way to think about stardom, and and I think that's that's authentic to the way that audiences also come to love stars. That's not always just the flesh and blood person, but also the image of that star that can get repurposed in different ways. Yeah, and and I think you do a, a nice. And I please understand. I don't mean it to be like I'm talking down. Good job, buddy. You know, I don't mean it that way. I just I love the, I love the article. <laughs> I love the article, but. You do a nice job with there's two two elements here when you we, you get into that, which is one is the idea where people want uh, companies rather want to continue to exploit and felt they could make money off of Bruce Lee's image. And you have a nice turn of phrase where you say essentially and, and for fans who were not yet ready you know, to forget about him or let him go. And so this conjectural sort of Bruce Lee. And, and I'm not as much of a, I, I, I like Bruce Lee movies. I, I think actually a buddy of mine last year during the pandemic got me the nice new box set that, uh, that uh, Criterion put out. So, I mean, I've certainly seen some stuff, but I'm not a scholar of him. But you talk about some of the imitation movies where it's sort of like, well, what if Bruce Lee uh, fought this animal? What if Bruce Lee fought this, you know, and sort of that, that weird sort of fan service element. Also in a sort of more serious way here, the idea of, the idea where Bruce is sort of a star or as all stars are, are sort of bigger than or become bigger than and more meaningful uh, than just the flesh and blood. And so then to use another word you use, sort of malleable, you know, and they, they become something, a little bit of something for everybody. And how do you sort of, what's that tricky balance between this is what we can change in order to sort of this the, give us more of what we, what we want, but and yet not lose those essential elements. And you talked a little bit about that with the James Bond stuff, but I I know with with Bruce Lee, you were talking a lot about one of the one of the points there was the there's sort of these standard elements uh, within those films that they didn't want to get rid of, and one was sort of this idea of of him sort of fighting back against racism. Is that a fair is that a fair assessment that that's one of those very important elements? Yeah. And I mean, and it's an important element because it was important to Bruce Lee as an actual person, right? As somebody who, um, born in the United States, did a lot of his development in, in Seattle and later in Hollywood. And then also to tie it to the, many of the audiences who were hungry for these Bruce exploitation films. If you think about the fact that in the 1970s and 80s, black audiences in the United States, Latino audiences in the United States continued to be what was holding up that, that was, uh, they were the ones going to the theaters to watch kung right. fu films, yeah, they, and, yeah. and this isn't appreciated enough, especially in Chinese film studies. And um, but but if if we think about it that way, then if, then it makes sense that this like, fighting back against authority, even if it becomes a cliche of these films, like it still it still resonates as a trope that um, people still are looking for. Of course, when it's <laughs> Bruce Lee fighting a, a lion, for instance, it's, it's different <laughs> than like fighting against like power in, in a political sense. 
but so so there is a way in which like fighting against the more powerful loses some of its political bite but it, it but but this trope still exists it's still embedded as part of what we expect out of bruce lee whether it's Bruce Lee, L-E-E, or Bruce Lee spelled L-I or L-E or Bruce Lee or Dragon Lee, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And and again, I should have done my homework a little bit more as far as the, the film, the filmography, but there is this sort of famous scene from one of his, and again, I think it is what four or five films he made, where I think it's supposed to be a period piece, and I forget some of the political spe- specificity here. But he reaches the embassy or the consulate or whatever, and they have the big sign outside that basically says, I think it's like, no dogs allowed. It's either like no dogs or no Chinese or no dogs or what I forget. I apologize, folks. I should know this. And Lee, of course, because he's the greatest cinematic martial artist of that time, you know, he does like a jump kick or whatever, destroys the sign, and everyone's just like silently like, yeah, like bring bring down the man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and 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 that image of Bruce Lee is that can never be taken away. And if I think I would say, like, as much as there have been all these knockoffs, and the way in which his image has been sort of politically neutered or made clownish, that moment still exists. And when I still see that film, that that scene, especially as a as a Chinese American, I, st- I still have to cheer a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's a great great scene. What I also want to do is just talk a little bit about uh, those other uh, two elements that you mentioned. And one is you, you, you call it the sort of vengeance of Bruce, uh, or sorry, vengeance for Bruce film element. And the uh, and that kind of, I think, somewhat coincides with the third one, which is there's always this sort of the fight or sort of a series of increasing challenges. And so sort of maybe if you could speak a little bit about sort of how separate though or discrete those are versus do they all sort of meld together with the idea of fighting against a, an oppressive authority, that sort of thing? Yeah, well, I mean, I, the, the vengeance for Bruce thing is interesting um, because so what happens here is, I mean, audiences aren't stupid, right? They know Bruce Lee died <laughs> and, and yet they still are going to see fake Bruce Lee movies. So that right. either so that must mean one that there's like a that they're willing to believe they want to believe and this is something that we see with like Elvis Presley, Tupac. We like they're fans who like we've seen the medical reports, but maybe they're forged or like or we want to believe. Or or there's also a way in which like these films acknowledge they sort of wink at the audience. They're like oh, we all know he's dead. How how do we still create a how do we still have a fake Bruce Lee on the screen and still acknowledge the reality? So the vengeance for Bruce film is are films in which like Bruce Lee has died in the in the diegesis of the film. And maybe it turns out he had a like a twin brother all along or, <laughs> or like a. Um, and, and so, yeah, we, we, there's a person who is supposed to resemble Bruce Lee, who we don't have to suspend our, our disbelief that far into believing it's actually Bruce Lee. But the brother is here to to avenge Bruce's death. Uh, and that will lead him to taking on other kinds of parts of the persona, um, mm. uh, including the fights. Like, are, are there ways in which one must fight to look like Bruce Lee? Um, mm. Like, Bruce Lee doesn't... Not, not all martial art um, performers fight like Bruce Lee. Uh, his, his, like, his uh, specific assemblage of different kind of cultural martial arts elements. 
Um, and then there's also this like uh, that we see in Game of Death, right? right? Like you're fighting from, from floor to floor. You start on floor one, floor two, floor three, and then you get to the top. I mean, like, like these kinds of, of formulas that have been associated with Bruce Lee, and which I argue is actually um, this like going from level to level is, is the foundation for a lot of video games. To, to come. Yeah, I mean, this is the 1970s, think about the 1980s, and this idea of like be- beating each beating each level with the, uh, and with each villain being of increasing difficulty. That's basically Game of Death. Um, yeah, and yeah. I mean, it's not just Bruce Lee films, of course, but that that film in particular turned it into a a very like like a pure formula. Like there's really nothing else happening in that movie except for this. Just the way a lot of mar- um, um, like fighting video games. There's not that much more happening on the narrative than just all right, beating one villain to get to the next villain. Yeah, but, yeah, I, but, but there's a certain kind of like, I, I call it a sort of syntax of the Bruce right. Lee genre that there's certain things that you expect formulaically and that if you, as long as you abide by this generic formula, you're sort of evoking Bruce Lee-ness at the same time. Yeah, I think I think you you differentiate in the uh, in the article between sort of the semantics and sort of how that can be changed, but the, the syntax has to sort of be there. Yeah, I was going to, Game of Death, I was going to joke and say, you know, you pretty much ask any opposing NBA center of the 1970s, uh, going up against Kareem for, you know, an hour, it's probably about the hardest thing one could do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Famously, you know, a a wonderful visual uh, choice on his part of of Bruce Lee. And again, I apologize, folks, I should do, do more of my homework on Bruce Lee himself, but I don't believe he was the tallest gentleman in the world, but certainly not the shortest. But when you put up against uh, Kareem, wonderful visual idea. You know, wonderful visual idea. Now, superstar, Superman, the one, the only, the immortal, Bruce Lee. In the super screen excitement of them all, game of death. Never such action, never such incredible feats. See him conquer seven foot four inch colossus, Kareem Abdul Jabbar. See him battle world karate champ, Bob so, Wall. What I think is, is sort of leading into my last. Uh, question here for the the article, and then we'll then we'll get into just wild speculation and conjecture. Uh, is uh, the idea here that these days, I think that there is a bit more of a brand, or at least a very specific visual uh, uh, sim, uh, 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 visual signifier for Bruce Lee. And I think in part that's due to time. In part, I believe his daughter has now taken control over a good chunk of the estate and the promotion and all that. So there's a little bit more homogeneity about the message being put out. But what I think is interesting is sort of, and and also I think it's a time uh, these days where action, large budget tentpole films, superhero films, et cetera, has sort of legitimated the action film in a way that maybe it hadn't been or maybe more more mainstream. So what I think is really interesting from your part is that you're really capturing this time of, I would say, mid, mid to late 70s, maybe early 80s, that I don't know necessarily that our younger audience, our younger listeners would quite understand that. And I'm going to use probably, this is a, a probably very uh, derogative term. I'm not using it because I personally believe it, but I'm trying to capture the spirit of that time. But it would be like those kids on your playground sort of riding you, you know, bullying you 
And they would have used a phrase something like a chopsocky flick. You know, that that sort of so so I mean, do you see do you see that same sort of uh disparaging these days with this sort of and if so, where? Because for me at least it feels like oh, it's a martial arts film. Like, oh, these are cool. And we'll add a little CGI and Bruce Lee. Everything's cool. And I, I feel like I, I don't know quite where the disparagement would still be found today, but that may be more due to my ignorance than anything else. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point that the martial arts film has been, and the action film has been rescued um, or has, has <laughs> been made more, uh, yeah, like like the, 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 like art, artistic perhaps. And um, I would also uh, credit, for instance, something like Ang Lee's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon to sort of mm. make it like a Oscar nominated thing. But this is also, right. this is where Quentin Tarantino plays a very interesting role in all of this. Um, okay. In some sense with Kill Bill, he's also kind of trying to rescue these chopsocky, trashy films and into some kind of art, right? Like, like an, a tourist uh, vision of, of the genre. But the other interesting thing is Tarantino is kind of obsessed with Bruceploitation too. Like I was, at, I was at an LA screening at the New Beverly Cinema that Tarantino is affiliated with. And he actually introduced a double feature of Bruceploitation movies. And oh, he was wow. citing these, like the stars in them. I think he had one, like one of the, the daughters of one of the Bruce, like the fake Bruce Lee's like in attendance. So he oh, is wow. definitely a connoisseur of Bruceploitation. So I think he is, because of that, I think he's um, interested in the ways that Bruce Lee can be many things. And that Bruce Lee can be kind of funny, too. I mean, if you talk to him, obviously, he loves the Bruce Lee of Enter the Dragon and Fist of Fury. But I think he also loves the fake Bruce Lee's of Blind Fist of Bruce and all that. And so this is where this all came to a head with uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hmm. And um, there's there was like the, the, con- the so-called controversy over um, this a scene in which Brad Pitt's character, who is a stuntman, who beats up Bruce Lee um, on on a, on a film set, and Bruce Lee fans got all up in arms. And, and in fact, Shannon Lee, the daughter of Bruce Lee, said like this is this is a this is a embarrassment, and you claim to be a fan of my father's, and now you're showing how he's just yet another sort of. Um, like 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 an Asian star to be kicked around, right, and and right. I feel like this this controversy to me I, I don't I don't really fall on one side or the other necessarily, but I, I think that what's interesting is kind of exactly what you're saying. Now you have one on one hand this sort of fan of Bruce Boitation in Tarantino, willing to kind of lampoon Bruce Lee again, turn him into the butt of a joke, and yet but now you have this. The, the, the Bruce Lee diehards led by Shannon Lee, but also led at this moment by an Asian American community that is like, we've had enough of this, that we, we especially at a time of anti-Asian violence and, and you know, we, want, we wanted to at least make known that th- this might, th- this, 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 it's not whether it's right or wrong to portray Bruce Lee this way, but that this falls into a larger trend of, of mocking us via Bruce Lee. And I think, this moment, like, like makes my article. So I think I, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I never thought about my article this way. That actually, by thinking about Bruce Lee as conjectural, it makes sense that Quentin Tarantino would take him in this direction. But also, if you think about the way the conjectures, the conjecture of Bruce Lee has led to the attack, um, the dehumanization of Asian Americans, it also makes sense why there would be this pushback. Yeah, absolutely. I try to stay off of some of the more darker spaces on uh, uh, social media and avoiding those uh, those uh, arguments. But I did I did hear a little bit of it, and uh, 
I think for myself as sort of a transition point here is as with any figure, I'm even though as I was joking earlier, I'm not actually, I'm not joking about this. I believe this truly. Bruce Lee is one of the few film stars of the 20th century who understood how to make yourself look good and cool on film. And for me, it's the, his uh, quickly understanding that, especially as a, a bit of a smaller guy, but not, he wasn't like small, small, if you put your entire body into a punch, a cinematic punch, you're just going to look cooler. Now, if you're also ripped like Bruce was and really flexible and great at kicking and punching, you know, you know, great too. So even though I enjoy those elements of what he created on screen, any figure, I'm more interested in the actual flawed human being and remembering that they were actually a human being who happened to be super talented or super ambitious and they created this wonderful thing. So I, I think my my sort of immediate reaction to that that uh, debate or, or quote unquote controversy controversy is that remember he he wasn't the guy infiltrating the island on in Enter the Dragon you know and he also wasn't the cousin from out of town who helped out at the restaurant and then kicked everyone's asses in the back alley you know he, he's an actor you know he's, a, he's an actor and it's a more interesting story to to sort of know that. So listeners, what I want to sort of make you aware of at this point in the conversation is that Brian has been good enough to come on and talk about Bruce Lee because he wrote the article and he knows quite a bit about Asian Asian cinema. But I have uh, uh, practically forced him to have to now uh, go into wild speculation as I do. So please understand that, that the next part of the conversation, uh, neither of us uh, as scholars or just interested people, neither of us has written about the topic this is literally just a thought exercise. It may sputter out and we go, yeah, I don't know. And then this will end in five minutes or maybe it'll get into something interesting. We don't know. So the reason I wanted to have Brian on today was that I was thinking uh, a few months back or maybe it was during the pandemic is, is I'm can be at some ways a bit of a cynic at heart. And back in the day, maybe my master's or definitely undergraduate, I was definitely more of into sort of political economy and media ownership issues, that sort of thing. And so my immediate immediate thought when Chadwick Boseman died, having experienced through my students, my undergraduates, what a phenomena um, Black Panther was. And I'm going to show my age here, but I hadn't really experienced that. I know people will say, well, the other Marvel movies or Lord of the Rings or whatever. Okay, yeah. But really, it reminded me of when I was a kid and Tim Burton's Batman came out. Now, politically and culturally, a totally different thing. But I'm talking about that mania that it just sort of swept the country. And I imagine it's probably what it was. I'm Now, I'm not this old, so I don't know what happened. But probably what they talked about when the original Star Wars came out in the late 70s, that sort of mania that swept over. And so I saw this in my undergraduate students, that they loved the idea of Black Panther. They loved the idea of Wakanda. They loved, they seemed to like Chadwick Boseman. And as sort of an old white dude, in my mind, I'm like, eh, maybe this guy's aiming to become this generation's Sidney Poitier because he's such a good actor and yet he can do some action and all that stuff. So then the cynic in me went, well, who's been running those movies? Disney Corp. And I also am old enough to know, and again, not as much as Brian, of sort of what happens when a really young star who meant a hell of a lot to a certain segment of people died suddenly, a la Bruce Lee. And so now, completely unfairly, in giving him no way in shape or form to ever give a truly informed uh, opinion other than just being a smart, educated person, 
what do you what do you think, Brian? Uh, any thoughts on the idea of? Do you feel like Disney or maybe a knockoff secondary producer? Do you think anyone's going to try to sort of mold Bozeman's image? Will we see fake Bozeman? <laughs> you know, where, where where do you think this might go? Because he was such a young, popular star, and he did drama and action. Do you think there's any similarities or parallels here, or is it, or you go, nice idea, but sorry, uh, sorry, Jonathan, these are two totally different case studies. Well, I mean, they're not different for the reasons that you mentioned. This, like the 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 cultural investment that we have, like it's it's not just that it's a tragedy that Chadwick Boseman died. It's, it was the potential to mean so much to so many people, and and it, that was that was certainly Bruce Lee's good potential as well. But but a major difference is, as, as you're alluding to, is Disney and Marvel. These are these, these are corporations that make money because of the monopoly they have over the the characters the the worlds that they've created and if you've invested so much in a certain actor embodying that character then what happens when that's gone and but but i mean disney has seen this with star wars with um carrie fisher's passing and that reminded me of Game of Death. <laughs> what, what do you do uh, in, in the middle of a shoot, for instance? Um, an iconic actor passes. Which had a Bozeman, I think, I think I, I'm not that familiar with the conversations. I'm sure the conversation has progressed even beyond like, what I can imagine. But like the, the sequel to Black Panther, like what's going to happen? Right. Is this going to be a, like a uh, CGI Chadwick Boseman situation? In which like the idea of a CGI actor is exactly what they would have done for Bruce Lee if they had that technology. And we don't need fake Chadwick Boseman's because we have the digital, we have the digital post-production to, or it's not even post-production anymore, digital production to, 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 to create that. But, but this is also where it's a test of what the audience is willing to want, like willing to believe in. Our audiences are, are fans of, of Black Panther and Chadwick Boseman going to want to see him so badly that they're willing to, see a fake version of him on screen and say, I don't care. This is, if this is the best I'm going to get, I'm going to go for it. And this is better than them d- killing the character off within the universe or having it be like his brother showing up and saying like, I'm going to avenge my, my brother's death. Like if they would rather see the fake Chadwick Boseman as his character, that to me is very similar to like in, in the 1970s and 80s, a, a Bruce Lee fan saying, I know Bruce Lee's gone. I know this is not like the indexical image of Bruce Lee that's on the screen, but I'm willing to believe it anyways. Perhaps, perhaps that's going to happen. Yeah, but I, and and I don't. I may, maybe maybe fans have already answered this question about what they're willing to tolerate, <laughs> or or is the aura of of Chadwick Boseman that important that that they would not touch the that that they would not that they're not going to mess around with a fake version of him? Like, is it, so much of what we love about him the the, 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 our knowledge that this is an actual person. Um, maybe that will be more important to, uh, to, to the fans. Yeah, I, I just, again, this is the cynical part of my heart is, but I, I imagine new new versions of the old argument of like seeing like MLK uh, on a McDonald's poster, you know, representing MLK Day. I'm seeing 15 years from now, you know, whatever the kids, quote unquote, Saul in Bozeman and what he represented for the political struggle within BLM uh, and, and those movements to suddenly see him down the road shilling for, you know, Disney theme parks 
or 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 or, or Burger King glasses to use a seventies you know souvenir idea. You know, I'm, I, I can see that sort of you know coming down the road. And I guess the the only other thing I, I would say to you, based on what you had just brought up, and it doesn't necessarily have to be something we, we you know, because it's a bigger topic to to go into. But if you want to say something, feel free. The I I think there's an interesting sort of subset to your original article there with the idea of the fake Bruce Lee and sort of suspension of disbelief. And you know, you said, hey, they would have used CGI back then if they could. And I 100% agree with you on that as far as the producers. But I wonder on this on the side of the audience, I wonder, and you sort of got into a little bit, but the idea of like, there is something that the fake Bruce Lee, and I'll say L-I here, you know, <laughs> brought to that weird sort of, you know, attempt that I guess the the the, the humanist in me, the ego says that a, a, a computer couldn't quite, you know, like it, it's almost a lesser monster or a lesser Frankenstein when the computer does it versus if it's like, you or me suddenly putting on sunglasses and going like, yep, I'm Bruce Lee this week. Like, here we go. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Like, if it was a CGI Bruce Lee, we would hold it to the standard of the actual Bruce Lee. So if you're going to go all the way with this technology, you better prove to us that it is equivalent. Whereas when you have a fake Bruce Lee, like Bruce Lee spelled L-I, you're like, well, obviously you can't be as good as the real Bruce Lee. Like he is untouchable. He's the greatest of all time. And therefore we're willing to like smile at like at your mimicry right and so it's another way of re-crowning bruce lee in his death to, to see other people try and fail yeah and there's also another way in which like this is an opportunity to find his the, find the inheritor of the bruce lee like legacy like which of these fake bruce lees is going to be the best one and 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 fans would i mean i think I don't really have a favorite of the fake Bruce Lee's, but a lot of people do have a favorite of the fake Bruce Lee's. And in some ways, Jackie Chan was that, right? Like he, in the the beginning of his career, I mean, he was in Enter the Dragon. Like he was, his Chinese name is Cheng Long, which means to become the dragon. Hmm. And and so there's a way in which maybe he was going to be the next Bruce Lee. And he did become, like in, as in terms of like international appeal within the genre, the next Bruce Lee. Although a more, you know, again, clownish version. Um, so yeah, and as you're saying, like this could only be possible because we have human beings who are the ones trying to be the Bruce Lee. I, I don't think a CGI version of Bruce Lee is going to. Everyone's going to be like, oh, that's that's the next inher- that's the inheritor to the Bruce Lee. <laughs> right. Yeah. There, I think that's an excellent point. You you, you and, and I'm not going to push it and say, well, these days reality TV competitions are so popular. Disney certainly could go in that direction, and like, who's going to be the next, you know, Black Panther and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I think that's an excellent point of of the mimicry, seeing where you sort of fall short, how that reaffirms the greatness of the original. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say this jokingly, and then we'll we'll come to a close here because you're probably the one of the few people I could ever make this joke to. Uh, is one thing that I always I always think is a real lost uh, opportunity is to see a slightly older Bruce, whose initial career popularity kind of flames out by the early '80s doing like a really bad American buddy cop B movie with him a little haggard, maybe wearing one of those bad members only jackets, trying to look like a little cool still. <laughs> and, you know, being the, being the, the comic relief cop guy. Uh, well, unfortunately we'll never see that until, you know, Tarantino makes a, his own knockoff, uh, Bruce PlayStation film. 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, like he he would have totally been in the Expendables oh, yeah. <laughs> if he had. Uh, like he would have been like the final cameo that would ever made everyone just like, like jaw drop on the floor. Yeah, uh, or, I mean Jet Li, I think is one of the Expendable films. I think even by he's he's a generation younger than Bruce Lee, but yeah, he, that was the route he went. Yeah. So maybe we were spared of the geriatric <laughs> Bruce Lee, but also like you know like. Um, if Tarantino is doing like revisionist histories these days, like what is the revisionist history of what if Bruce Lee never died? Uh, yeah. Oh, I love now. I love. We're, now we're just, these are the, yeah, this is us conjecturing as fans. Like part of us is like, we, we don't actually want that to happen. Right. But the other part is like, but we do want to see that happen. And that's, that's the joy of Bruce Plotation. Yeah. The, 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 uh, uh, to keep within our theme of memory and history, there's a part of me that would love to make the argument that because of the data pile that we're all sitting on and the ability to look at the full biography, the full stories of careers, that I think it's almost, I won't say easy, and it certainly would never be right because you'd never know, but I think it's much easier to construct plausible alternative histories or where careers could have gone than ever before. And, and again, it's, I, it's something I always use with my students. And I, I apologize, folks. I'm showing my ignorance here. I'm not a, a, a Harry Potter a super fan. I've seen them all, but I don't remember any of them because my wife loves the, the movies. But whatever the movie is where he's up in the attic in that, with that mirror. And then, and, and this, is, I, 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 this is what I do to troll my students, I'll say. And then Obi-Wan Kenobi comes over. <laughs> and and I say uh, I say uh, uh, you know he the the uh, uh, Dumbledore says you know Harry you can't sit there looking in the mirror because you'll lose your life that way you know meaning always looking into a past of what wasn't but you want to be which is of course his parents coming back so there's certainly a futility to wanting to construct what ifs and alternative histories but honestly like there's so much material available on on how people thought interviews, choices they made, why they made them, blah, 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 that when they do die young, I feel like, again, everyone can make a left turn or, or a sudden change. But I really think you and I could probably make a pretty plausible, what would a Bruce Lee B American buddy cop movie co-starring Nick Nolte have been like in 1983 or four? And you know what I mean? Like it wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be, but you'd get close. And, and, and that's sort of a, I say that jokingly, but I think that's a different topic for the idea if you like to study the theory of history, the theory of memory, and how uh, uh, big data, quick access to data, over data, whatever you want to call it, I think sort of affects our ability to sort of, in a sense, time travel or inhabit these curated little previous spaces that uh, maybe before took a little more pure imagination and isn't as accessible, but that's neither here nor there. I just, I wanted to bring that up. <laughs> well, no, that, that's really cool. I mean, even as you're saying that, I'm like, like what, what part of me is, is envisioning the, the eighties version of Bruce Lee is, is the, is it the cynic who like looking at film history, I know how Asian American men were cast in the 1980s and that like, what kind of buddy would he be? Would he be like Jackie Chan in Rush Hour, which is like kind of a clownish sidekick, so that, that, that's a cynic in me. Like, like the, if, if I look at the 80s American cinema as my algorithm for like how I would imagine this outcome to be, or do I look at it as Bruce Lee was always going to break the mold anyways, right? Can, can he be the person who make me to reimagine an alternative history that, this, that, that American film history could have gone in, the action cinema could have gone in? Could he have been a very different kind of buddy? I mean, th th that's something that I love to, 
to, to stew on and imagine. Yeah. I, I, and, and, I, and very few stars could, could lead me to um, daring to imagine that an Asian American man in the 1980s could have been anything different than, than yeah, Bruce Lee. I think that's an absolutely solid, solid point and, and, a, and, a, and a necessary counterpoint to my natural cynicism. So thank, thank you for reminding us about that. Okay. So I think we have taken up more than enough of your time, uh, uh, Brian. So at the end, what I like to do with guests is, especially the academic guests, because again, we don't always get a mass audience that our work probably deserves sometimes. Sometimes it's a lot of garbage, but a lot of times it's good. Uh, uh, is Why don't you tell us, is there anything you'd like to sort of plug or promote, make us aware of? Maybe there's a, maybe there's a new journal article you've done or maybe a book chapter or something that you know, people listen after listening to this again, it's, he, he doesn't just write about Bruce Lee folks, just relax. Um, but you might be like, Oh, this, this guy sounds interesting. I should check out his other stuff. Any, anything you'd like to promote? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if anyone's listening to a podcast, you might be interested in a podcast that I'm a part of. Um, I am the co-host and co-producer of a podcast called Saturday School. Mm. And um, it's it's in tribute to how a lot of Asian Americans grew up, especially first generation, second generation immigrants. We had to go to Saturday School like on Saturdays to learn our like the language of our families. Like oh, I had to wow. go to Chinese school every Saturday morning. Well, yeah. all my friends were watching Saturday morning cartoons. That was like learning Chinese, but, yeah. but like, um, so th that's where the title comes from, but it's, but we use this as me and my co-host Ada Sang, who's a journalist for the LA times. Uh, we just look into the archive of Asian American cinema and pick out stars, genres and, and films. And every, every week or um, every episode, we, um, focus on a, a film that many of these films aren't even available anymore. You'd have to have access to a university library. Oh, wow. Um, and we think about like, there's not that much like from the 70s and 80s and 90s, but there is if you just look beyond like, narrative features. And so we look at short films, we look at experimental films, we look at documentaries. Um, and every season of it, we focus on a different uh, topic. So right now we're, we're in a season on the sci-fi film mm. um, and Asian American sci-fi films, both independent and experimental and documentary and, and things that you might not necessarily consider sci-fi. Um, so, so that's one way to... to listen to more of, of my uh, thoughts on, on Asian and Asian American film history. Um, also, I'm the artistic director of the San Diego Asian Film Festival. And oh, cool. so if any of your listeners are in Southern California, our festival this year runs, fingers crossed, in person, uh, October 28th to November 6th in oh, San perfect. Diego. So, and, and we are one of the um, premier festivals for Asian and Asian American cinema in North America. That's fantastic. I will uh, make a very poor connection here, but just because I loved it as a film and I had such low expectations, I saw it. Don't know if you happen to see it. I want to say it was CNN Films, but it was a, it was a network thing. But they were talking about, and this kind of the reason I connected here because we've been talking about late seventies, early eighties, but talking about how and why Southern and Southern California, Southern California mom and pop donut shops. Uh, Rose, and I forget the title of the film, but it just came out in the last two months or so. And God damn it, I I, list, I watched that like one and a half times as my wife happened to catch it the second time around. It's so good. I mean, it's so good. I don't know if you is this the it. film The Donut King? Yes, yes, The Donut King. Oh uh, yeah, that that one best documentary at our festival last year. Oh, it's such a. I mean, it's such a crowd pleaser, but it's also such a rich history. And what I love so much about it is they tell the story of the pink donut box yeah. <laughs> and like it's like so iconic like a part of american cuisine like a staple of american cuisine is you know like donuts in a pink box and 
this this documentary looks at like reminds us that it was Cambodian Americans who yeah. because of their because of their frugalness mostly as like <laughs> as refugee families and and just like hustlers realized that you know pink boxes are cheaper than the white boxes and they popularized that and you know that's that's what we picture when we think about donuts in the United States now. Anyways, yeah, I, I love that you brought up that documentary. It yeah, yeah touches on so many things that are relevant. I mean, I, I, this is for a whole other episode why it's a great documentary, but just tonally, it not only has those segments where they go like, hey, you ever wonder where those pink boxes come from? And they kind of do this light, fun segment of why they did it. And then they do this really heavy context politically uh, and historically about refugees and the struggle and what they really had to get out of and then what they faced when they got to the United States. And the fact that a film can balance those two tones so well, uh, I just, it's great. So, uh, yeah, so uh, I will unexpectedly also say The Donut King. Please go watch that if you haven't seen that. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, thank you so much, Brian. I really do appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, fascinating. We'll make sure with the show notes and the show stuff, we'll make all the sort of plugs and connections to your stuff. Uh, but again, I appreciate it. And uh who knows? Maybe in a few years, if we start seeing not Chadwick Bozeman's around, we'll revisit this issue. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be here for it. All right. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Brian for agreeing to sit with me and talk about. Uh, all my crazy questions regarding his work on Bruce Lee and my even crazier question regarding uh, the connection possibly uh, between Bruce and, uh, and so what's going to happen with, with the image of Chadwick Boseman. But at the end here, I just want to remind you guys that uh, if you're interested in Brian's work, you can check out, uh, well, obviously his faculty page, which we'll, we'll link to off this episode's uh, site. Uh, but you could also check out his book, uh, Worldly Desires, Cosmopolitanism and Cinema in Hong Kong and Taiwan. And as he mentioned, if you're in that part of the country, you might want to check out the 22nd Annual San Diego uh, Asian Film Festival, which is running, uh, just to make sure we have as much updated information as possible here, uh, October 28th through November 6th this year, okay? And you can find that at all all that information out at SD aff.org again that's sdaff.org okay you can check that uh, that all out and again just want to remind you as as i did up front uh, please consider contributing a very small donation or we'll take larger ones as well if you want to hear any of those bonus episodes or the 87 episode archive okay so if you've stayed with us through to the end, I do appreciate that. And we will catch all of you in another two weeks for another new episode. I'm Jonathan Bullinger. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. See him destroy Danny Inosanto. <laughs> Mel Novak. Brought up and jumped out the window. From the same talented trio that gave you Big Boss, Fist of Fury, Return of the Dragon, and Enter the Dragon, star Bruce Lee, producer Raymond Chow, director Robert Klaus. A giant in his time, a legend in his death. 
he lives again. Bruce Lee, Game of Death.